Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Hello, welcome everybody to episode 79 of your favorite turtle podcast no offense to any of the others out there uh we were just the first so we get to say that um <laughs> welcome to the podcast we are super excited to be joined tonight by our esteemed guest the uh head it's head keeper is it in herpetology and aquatics is that is that right ryan uh and fish and fish sorry it's called fish i, I get confused because so many friends with with uh, different titles at different zoos and things like that. So uh, from, from the Cincinnati Zoo, and and you're uh, quite an accomplished uh, keeper who's been doing it for quite a while, although you you still look very youthful. I like the I like what we got going on with the hairdo and the hats. Yes. Yeah, we're, like, we're envious of the hair. Definitely. definitely. A little different from my uh, the the photo you put up of me holding that giant cooter. Right. Always sounds funny. I'm sorry. Still have to laugh at it. So, uh, welcome. Kevin's here, and Steve, of course. Hey guys. Uh, Steve Enders, the esteemed uh, president of the Turtle Room, is behind the scenes helping us with the technical side. Thank goodness, because if it was up to the other three of us, sorry, Ryan, just judging from the last ten minutes, thank goodness we have Steve to help us through these times. So we're going to give it our best, our best whirl. So far, my camera's still working. Last show, it did not work. And thanks again to Charlie Moorcroft for sticking through uh, that with us for over an hour. That was great. So we we have a wonderful show planned. Really excited to, to talk to Ryan, not only just in general because he's he's a, a wealth of knowledge, but also because of, you know, the timing of things coming out of COVID and uh, some other projects that he's working on that he hasn't been able to talk about on, on past podcasts that I've, I've listened to you on. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. So So welcome. And yeah, say hi to everyone, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for all the kind words. I don't know how true all of them are. There's a nugget of truth in there. But um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I've watched a lot. Talk to you guys. Uh, well, except for Kevin. It's nice to meet you, Kevin. At some point, I've talked to the other guys, though. And uh, it's just nice to be on. I'm looking forward to just chatting with you guys about turtles. And it's interesting, interesting you say that. I wanted to start there because you know Steve, correct? I met Steve uh, in 2018, I believe, at the um, what was that? The TSA conference in Dallas, Fort Worth. Awesome. And I didn't want to assume, but I did, because Steve has Steve and I have been busy this week. We haven't had an opportunity to to talk leading up to this, but I assumed because you're running a really interesting project with the Pascagoula map turtle or Graptomus gibbons eye. Steve would probably say gibbonsy, right, Steve? Yeah, he's not listening. Okay, Steve fell asleep. So, um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that project? Because I'm used to Steve being in my ear while we're while we're live, but he wasn't there that time. So, can you tell us a little bit about that exciting project? Because I think it's it's one of those that people think should be happening, but they don't necessarily know is. And you touched on it on the Animals at Home podcast, but didn't go into it any further because it's not a turtle podcast; it's a reptile podcast, and a lot of times. You're talking about like bigger ideas there and that sort of thing, but we can really nerd out and really get into the turtle stuff since that's where our interests lie as well and, and our viewership as well. So, so what's up with that project? What is up with that project? Well, what's up with that? Uh, 
What's up with that? So I actually, this all started because I was at the Newport Aquarium, uh, which is out here in, near Cincinnati. Uh, I was really big into the ringed map turtle. It was a species survival plan. There weren't that many, and I had had some successful reproduction. I don't know, bred maybe, I don't know, like eight to ten of them over a two-year stretch. And really did, like, increase the numbers um, in that call that population for the ssp but unfortunately that animal uh was being phased out of an ssp because its wild populations uh were turning out to be a little more stable than they had been so um i had talked to michael ogle who i'm sure none of you know uh, i've never talked to michael ogle um oh, okay we can we can talk about more updates on the ring maps i guess i don't really know much because i uh those are animals i worked with at the newport aquarium and uh, I discontinued working for, with those guys once I moved over to the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, they still have some over at the aquarium, but uh, when I got there, we had two males and a female. All were 20 plus years old, and I think really all I needed to do was put them together. So I, I won't say I did anything crazy. A very short drop in temperature. I used nothing but RO water, which uh, we can talk about later or now with map turtles, I think is an absolute necessity to have... Uh, load what's it load total dissolved uh, solids and high do i think is an absolute necessity for graptemis and shell health as i'm learning with the gibbons eye which um as we roll into that talking with uh michael i was looking for a way to get involved i wanted to be the stud book and ssb coordinator for the ring map turtles because that person had stepped down and but it was being discontinued but he said hey there's this pascagoula map turtle that could really use some someone to champion it and pioneer it. And uh, so I looked into that and he connected me with uh, Will Selman, Dr. Selman out of Millsaps College. Uh, and then we got the ball rolling from there. And honestly, Will did a lot of that heavy lifting. That is an amazing human being full of knowledge um, who kind of just held my hand through a lot of the processes. Um, we were able to, over about a year or two, put together a collecting trip and we got an assurance colony of young animals that I've been raising now for a little over three years. Um, so we have a total of 36 uh, Gibbons Eye in AZA institutions, at least according to Zim software. Um, they are very slow growing, however, so um, we'll just wait and see. I'm just collecting data, growth information, on just just keeping track of things right now. Um, the bad news is the AZA is totally realigning how they're doing and approving their SSP programs. And the Gibbons I will likely be phased out of an SSP program, but we still have the opportunity, which I will continue to maintain it uh, as a what they call a consortium species. So it's something that I, I still build and champion and try to get into other places. So why why are they phasing out the the SSP? I'll probably do um, not much justice describing this, but basically there's a certain level of criteria already that SSPs have to meet in order to be designated, you know, uh, red, yellow, green level, which is basically mm -hmm. depending on the taxa based on how many animals you have, like what's your probability of maintaining a certain percentage of genetic integrity throughout a period of time. Uh, and a lot of those criteria have changed. They want the SSPs now to be practically rock solid and stable, like a Komodo dragon is your classic SSP. We won't have any problems um, reproducing genetically strong dragons. Uh, and there needs to be a certain amount of 
zoological institutions working with the species. So currently there's four institutions that hold gibbon's eye. Um, whereas dragons, I mean, I think there's like 30 or 40, so they easily meet meet that recommendation. So, yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it's I mean, there is some good thought behind the restructuring of how how they do it, but there's always some uh, byproduct of it that doesn't really sit well sometimes. Um, but overall, I mean, the AZA's done a pretty good job of this, and I trust uh, the turtle uh, tag, the taxon advisory group for AZA, to kind of steer us through it and. And, you know, it's my job now to try a little harder to push how cool these map turtles are and to kind of get them out into other zoological institutions. So that's the problem right now is that they're not there. And right now there aren't zoos knocking your door down to, to work with them. No, a lot of zoos just are not really that interested in uh, most American freshwater turtles. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that as a bad thing from other institutions. Just It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Anthony, I got a couple questions for him as well. Let's do it. So earlier you uh, mentioned how RO water would benefit map turtles in general. Now RO being reverse osmosis water. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So no, it's okay. I just uh, I didn't know about RO water until probably two years ago myself. You know, and I've been doing this for quite some time. Um, for most people, like I say, in the hobby aspect of it, RO water, like if you're using that as your main source for water for your turtles, it's not really really easy to do because it, it's a fairly lengthy process and like getting that water from your like you say your tap or whatnot you know you have to run through a different system um how do you guys battle that at the zoo well you know it, it's so reverse osmosis water is just run through a kind of a system of permeable membranes that the end product is simply h2o or as pure of water as you can possibly get um which you know, isn't necessarily always good because osmosis itself is kind of the movement of water from an area of low solutes to an area of high solutes. So if like you think of a frog and you put that frog in like a cup of RO water, all the solutes are in the frog. So that water is going to try to go into that frog, which isn't good for that frog. Um, so there is some 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 things you have to take, take care of. I mean, I don't use RO water all the time, but I do water changes with it. Uh, but the nice thing about reverse osmosis water is that there's not really any dissolved solids. Theoretically, there shouldn't be, but there's probably probably a little. But uh, so far, I think that the dissolved solids uh, contribute to, I don't know if it's poor shell health, but it, it, it kind of creates this opportunity for, um, and this is pure theory on my anecdotal information from me, but it kind of creates an area for anaerobic bacteria to grow. Um, oh, <laughs> um, it kind of gives it a room to grow and you get kind of like, uh, uh, like a, it's not, I don't know if it's a fungus at all, but I mean, I can kind of just peel off this, the scutes. It's like they don't shed their scutes as well. Okay. Um, but since I made the change to, I added high D, I was looking up some water quality parameters from the river system where I, where we acquired them. And we had, I saw just such high de dissolved oxygen levels that I wasn't that close to here. They weren't low, but they weren't high. So I made those two adjustments and I'm already starting to see just an increase in shell health. Like uh, I'm starting to see some color come back. I'm starting, because the Gibbons, I have absolutely beautiful carapace. So I'm starting yeah. to see some health, some healthy tissue grow back or some healthy scutes. Um, I wish I had a better explanation for it. But it just was going on too long, and I think I got a little complacent with letting it go. 
and I needed to make some changes. And that was one of the easy ones. Now, for RO, you know, 10 years ago, it might have been a little more of a pain in the neck. But to get RO at home, it's really not horribly difficult. Costs a little money up front to get a system that to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some maintenance to it as far as changing filters and cartridges and whatnot. But anymore, there are systems you can get that can hook up to a tap in your house and immediately the output is RO water. You oh, really? Okay. Hook it up to the sink and it comes out RO water. Yeah, I mean, they kind of foolproof it now. You should be able to go to like, I think, I don't know if Home Depot has it, but they have something similar where you can just kind of go get it. I get it at Amazon. I use um, a system that generates up to 50 gallons a day. So that's okay. how they kind of measure um, yeah. the systems. And I have it just auto top off into a reservoir. So as I use it, it starts refilling itself till it hits a level. Um, so okay. I can do multiple water changes a day. Yeah, that's what I meant about as far as like the speed goes now. So if you're doing 50 gallons a day, that's a decent amount, especially if you're doing like partial water changes with your animals. Uh, but like when you're doing large, large water changes, say you have an issue in the enclosure, you know, and you want to kind of start fresh on it. It would take some time in order to like get that all going, I'm assuming. Uh, but with yeah, and 50 it gallons a day, it's not bad. No, and honestly, if I was doing, if I had to do something like a 80% water change or more, I wouldn't use straight RO water just for kind of like that osmosis reason I was talking about earlier. I would use some carbon filtered water and mix it in with some RO water most likely to kind of, so there's something in it. Um, I just think that can be unhealthy for a lot of reptiles. Sure. Okay. Uh, my second question was why the Pascula map turtle? You know, it's, it's endemic to a, a river and I understand this aspect that's why you'd want to, but. Uh, being that it's in the, you know, southern of Mississippi and you're all the way up in Ohio, the people that are visiting your zoo that if I don't honestly, I don't know if they're on display, but say they're on display. Are the people that visit your zoo going to care about a turtle that's, you know, from as far south as you can go in our country where you're at? I like to think I like to think they care about it, but you never know, um, you know, and it's because it's, it depends on the person looking at your exhibit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the main goal is to just get somebody excited about reptiles, you know, and seeing a classic, like, I know it's not, well, let's, let's stick with turtles here, but seeing a Galapagos tortoise. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Do they care if it's a Vulcan Darwin tortoise or a Vincina tortoise or any other, they just see a tortoise and hopefully they get inspired by that animal. And that's, that's kind of what I hope people get out of our exhibits. Um, But how did I get into it? I mean, I, I really grew to love those ring map turtles while I was at Newport. And I wanted to get involved. I saw an opening to get involved. However, that, that program was kind of petering out. So, again, I talked to the tag president, Michael, and or the chair, and I was just like, how can I get involved? And he kind of said, well, if you like map turtles, there's this map program. And uh, he helped me out, gave me some information, and I ran with it. And, you know, I'm just – it's it was funny because they're like, hurry up and wait. I got all the yeah, information. Yeah. Spoke with Will. We got everything going. It was like, oh, this is exciting. I'm out in Mississippi. It's hot. I'm getting all these things. And now I'm back with these little guys and I'm watching them barely grow. <laughs> so, right. um, but yeah, it's that, I mean, that's the, that's the trouble with some zoos or with zoos in, in general is how do you get people to care about animals that a lot of people don't? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you just try to figure out a way to, to make them look good. And, you know, hopefully someone stops long enough to read the graphic a little bit and appreciates how um rare a species it is to actually be able to physically observe yeah okay can i just say um you said that you thought people wouldn't know michael i love michael he's he's like one of my heroes he uh i was just emailing with him this week um 
because he's he's so big into into spider tortoises and and I've got some eggs incubating for the first time and I've been talking to him for like gosh like 11 years now and you know for somebody who's doing as well as he is like to to join to 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 have the connections he does to people who he really doesn't have to, right? I mean, look at the things that Zoo Knoxville is doing and, and he's so successful. And and I've said for a long time, I actually wrote an article for um, an African publication about him and just basically the fact that like how well his stud books and SSPs have done because of his willingness to collaborate with people. And I just think it's cool to hear someone else who's who's had a really great experience because Michael has helped you because I feel the same way that that you know i'm I'm much better of of a of a, of a advocate and and more informed turtle person because he's been willing to take the time and help me. Um, also, yeah, sorry he's he's a tremendous human being. I, I was saying that in sarcasm. i I assume if you've been in kind of the we'll call it the turtle game been in the turtle game for a while uh you probably know michael at some point and uh oh you're so you know, bad. i didn't know you were up. being sarcastic i'm embarrassed yeah sorry sometimes i'm a little too dry no michael is i i he's an absolute gem for the turtle world and, and such a nice human being i i enjoy every interaction i've ever had with him he has been uh very helpful throughout my career especially with turtles and uh just a, a very likable guy very knowledgeable guy and down to earth um can't say enough nice things about him for sure, but awesome. like it doesn't surprise me at all that he took time out to help you with your Pixis eggs at all. Right, right. Okay. Um, also, I wanted to talk about the water because your you're in in charge of all of the fish stuff that's going. I'm having trouble concentrating. Steve, are you are you scrubbing turtle shells or something in the background? Because that is yes, he is perfect. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening in the background. Awesome. So just I so just myself so, twice because I was like, is yeah, that me? Yeah, that, that was ridiculous. I'm like, I know, but I can't so, even put together a sentence. I'm like, for the, view, uh, for uh, the viewers, it was like this. In our ears nonstop for the past like five minutes. Like, what is happening? Is this a technical issue? Like, no, that actually sounds like, like, like I've, I've taken a turtle enough times in my life and scrubbed its carapace with a, with a toothbrush to know exactly what that sound is. Oh, I thought I was going crazy. Okay. That's our new game show, <laughs> our new uh, new feature on here. You know, what's that noise? Guess that turtle sound. Okay. Okay. You, Steve, you can mute yourself now. That'd be great because he's still doing it right now. Okay. So let me get back to my question and let me say it in a way that's concise and works. Steve, I love you. You're always, you're always throwing us curveballs to make us better, buddy. I love it. Um, so you're, you have this background in aquatic systems specifically with fish because that's like the other half of your professional, uh, charge anyway. Right. So, so does, how does that influence what you're doing with turtles? Well, I should be clear that, um, some things have changed since that title came about and we still take care of a lot of fish, but we don't have a very large fish collection at the Cincinnati Zoo. It's not one of our, um, I should say Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden, because um, there there are some plants there too, and those folks do a really nice job. Um, but I don't really manage too many fish. But I mean, in my career before this, I had uh, had strong positions with uh, a lot of aquatic systems. 
uh, largely for the first four years of my career in Washington, D.C., um, a lot of my job was to take care of uh, a lot of Amazon freshwater tanks as well. And I've always had some aquatic aspect, some fish aspect throughout my career. Um, so it's really given me a really good background. Um, even before my first job, uh, my I got paid internships at the Newport Aquarium, where uh, one year I was on the terrestrial side and the following year I was on the fish side. So there's a lot of great mentors there who taught me a lot about filtration and and water quality. Um, my wife, uh, hi Rebecca, um, is hi, probably Rebecca. the most in, yeah, she's probably saying hi. Hi Rebecca. You're saying hi? <laughs> um, but she Rebecca, is if you're watching, if you're watching live, Rebecca, make sure you send in questions so that Kevin can get them in the Mintos mailbag. And that's for anyone else watching as well. So when we get to that segment, you can, you can ask questions. I'm sure, mailbag. I'm sure Rebecca has great questions uh that could embarrass that could embarrass she's gonna up. pop right out that door <laughs> good questions <laughs> any second okay sorry to interrupt please continue oh no that's a problem i was just talking up my wife because uh, i you know i met her at the newport aquarium actually we met back in 2005 but um we we didn't start dating till long after that but she is the most knowledgeable person i know uh when it comes to water quality especially as it pertains to uh, animal systems. There's nobody uh, in the country who you would rather have um, looking at that and analyzing these things. I mean, she's worked with stuff from not just reptiles and amphibians, but uh, polar bears and hippos. And I mean, the, the crocodile, like the list goes on. She's an incredibly intelligent woman. Um, she's a, and she, you know, I, and if there's anything water quality uh, or filtration that I have a question about, she's the absolute first person I talk to. That's incredible. So, I have a little bit of a inside track on, uh, she just makes me look good a lot. That's incredible. incredible. Do you ever thought, inspect your containers at your enclosures at home for that? Uh, I don't have anything aquatic at home, but okay. she, uh, she would. So I thought I heard that you keep uh, Florida box turtles now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look excited. Great awesome. reaction. Uh, do you have a section of their enclosure that's like fully water or no? Or just kind of like boggy? Uh, about a third of it is, but it's yeah. water, it's dump and fill. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, about a third of it is. And uh, recently, I, I was just talking to Jordan. Not just talking. This is uh, maybe a month ago. I noticed that my males spend way more time in the water than my females. And uh, I still like soak my like all my turtles and tortoises at some point regularly. And anytime I put a pair in water, it's copulation city. So I, it makes me wonder if the males are always in the water because they're patrolling. Yeah, you know, they're out. They're out looking for ladies, and the ladies are not in the water because they know males are out patrolling. Anyways, just a just a weird behavior that I noted and was like, I wonder if in the wild if males spend more time in the water than females because. You know, trying to yeah. spread those genes. Um, so <laughs> I, I think it's awesome that your wife is so supportive and so knowledgeable. That's awesome. Uh, it's something that fascinates me. If you don't know, we have a, a podcast called Turtly Devoted that touches on that. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by your relationship. I, we had uh, Max Maloney came to my place a, a week ago today. He came out Monday and he's he's a keeper. 
Um, he's he's a keeper, but he's also a zookeeper. Uh, at um, he's a keeper. At the he's a keeper uh, at the Denver Zoo, and and he and his wife came out, and and they both met in that field, and and they moved together, and they both they worked at a past zoo, and now they work at a zoo together now, and they have great experience. And I just thought, what an interesting dynamic, right? Because like Kevin can tell you, and Steve can tell you, and so many of us can tell you, like when you have someone who who isn't as knowledgeable isn't as into it as you are um and you have that when you keep animals at home it's it's an interesting dynamic how you like keep them involved but just the right amount of involved and don't tell them too much and get to geek out too much with them and turn them off and you know they keep you in check like how much money are you spending on this how much time are you spending on this all of that sort of thing and and it fascinates me this other side of the fence with where, where you can have two people who are so knowledgeable and experienced and, and what does that dynamic look like? Um, because it's, it's gotta be different, right? Or, or is she still keeping you in check? Like, come on, you do this all day at work. Why are you doing all of this at home? What's that dynamic like? Oh man. Well, that's a question, you know, I never actually asked myself. I, I love doing it at work. I love coming home and doing that. But, um, though, here's the funny thing. I, I only, I, I've been slowly transitioning my my specialty to turtles over the last, you know, probably five to six years. I've always been more of a snake guy, so I've always kept snakes at home. Uh, I never really had turtles. Um, and then I really got into Conixosomiana, which I'm sure we can talk about at some point. Really love oh, yeah. that species. It's so, on my list. Yeah. yeah. But um, I got the turtles and or the tortoises, and uh, I noticed that both my wife and kids were a little more interested in those than the snakes. Um and then I got some pancake tortoises and I had some spec eye for a while that I have out on loan. And, um, I really noticed that the family was far more into it. So the Florida box turtles, in fact, were a decision that my wife and I made together. We wanted more turtles or, or tortoises. And we kind of, I was sending her pictures, you know, of like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? You know, here's an Egyptian tortoise, Here, like, you know, just <laughs> what should we get? And I wanted her input because I, I can't go wrong. Uh, I, li- I like all of them. It just can't get huge, you know. We just don't have the space for that. But um, when it was all said and done, she really loved the Florida box turtles. And uh, mm-hmm. so did I. I can't have eastern box turtles in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. But Florida box turtles, according to SSAR, are terrapine bowery. And that's where we'll stop with that. But she loved them i loved them and we we acquired them and since then i mean she's been so much more into it the kids have been more into it um it's brought us closer on a lot of levels and uh you know we had our first offspring this year florida box turtles which was an incredibly rewarding experience both for me the kids and the wife and um you know and it's just totally changed the way i I view keeping animals at home and i'm just going way further down the turtle and tortoise road than the snake road that's but, incredible um, having her War, warms my heart oh that's what i was trying to do what what were you trying to do warm your heart oh yeah you did you did it, it did and and i loved it too because so so like i already i already kind of said that i i heard you on on the uh reptiles at home podcast which i really like like i think i think dylan does a really good job if anyone's looking for a good reptile podcast like that's the best one out there you know um but his his podcast is a reptile podcast so it's 
it it always comes back to snakes and geckos and that sort of thing because that's like what's most popular in the trade. Sometimes maybe you go out into like bearded dragons or that sort of stuff. Turtles at most just kind of get glanced over. Now I know he's had you on the show, he's had me on the show, and he's had Ralph Till on the show, which is awesome. Those are obviously my favorite ones to listen to. But you were up there as somebody who has knowledge of all of these different, you know, biological systems and all of these different groups of animals. And you were sitting there saying, "But turtles do it for me more than anything else." And I was just like, "Yeah, this is awesome." <laughs> um, you know, it's so you've been on my radar for a long time. Turtles have, give you feedback. Please tell me more. No, I mean, they, they, when you're doing something right, they let you know that, you know, and a lot of times snakes are a little more subtle. It's hard to see, or there's a lot of people who refuse to see it. Um, but turtles kind of opened my eyes to a lot of those, you know, you give them what they want and they use it and they do it and they're healthier. Um, and I just enjoyed that. It, it kind of, it, it's a, it's a bit of motivation for me to try harder and do more. Uh, so a lot of me is, what I've spent the last probably year and a half doing is taking more time to, to really be selective about what I keep at home and kind of lower my collection numbers in general so that I could give better care to the ones that I keep. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I wasn't giving good care before, but I mean, I think we can always do better. There's always something you wish like, ah, you know, and that would, if I can sell some babies, I, I'm going to use some of that money for, you know, to, for this, to increase the size of this or to, to, you know, to get these lights or, uh, and I want to be able to do that and not just be like, oh, but I, I can't cause I have to buy, you know, a hundred rats for all my carpet pythons. Um, I'd rather just right. not, not buy all those rats for my carpet pythons and, and have more money to use for, uh, these animals. So, cause my kids are seeing them, you know, my wife is seeing them. Um, I don't want them to not, and I'm not denigrating racks of this board, but I mean, I, I really am not a big fan. I'm just like, look at this. Here you go. Mm -hmm. What'd you think, Peter? What'd you think, Em? Mm -hmm. You know, I like them seeing like, uh, looking in and seeing a planted tank and, uh, you know, seeing a turtle pop its head up and giving that sweet Florida box turtle side eye. <laughs> so. I love it. Do you, that's, that's do you strive to have your enclosures at home be as like natural as possible to like kind of mirror what you're doing at the zoo? Clearly, you don't have the space constraints, no. but no, okay. No, I don't, not to mirror visibly, uh, but to meet their behavioral needs and mental kind of needs. Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, it, I would use, I use cinder blocks, you know, or broken pieces of cinder blocks for pancake mm -hmm. tortoises to do that, but I wouldn't do that unexhibited at yeah, work, right? Cause, yeah. So, it, but yeah, I, I strive. I don't meet it. I, I'm definitely not all the way there. I'm um, probably not even close, but uh, it's on my radar to to keep working on it and keep doing better um but yeah turtles are really the the animals that kind of just knocked it into me that it, why am i not doing this for everything i keep and if i'm not going to do that for everything i keep i need to have some conversations with myself right i think a lot of people don't realize too like you think of zoo enclosures and you think of these large planted enclosures on exhibit that sort of thing but a lot of times where you're trying to breed animals and stuff like that, that usually means that there's some off exhibit things as well. And those look a little more like what you'd see traditionally, like in somebody's collection. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, really for an exhibit, I mean, you want it to look good. I mean, it's supposed to be an inspirational piece of art is the way, you know, I kind of view it is people are supposed to see that and feel like they're, they're looking into South Africa when they see that pancake tortoise, right? They're, they're supposed to see that, that this copy out in the middle of Savannah. 
I'm not really worried about it looking like that in a in a holding space uh, and in behind the scenes area. I want that tortoise's needs to be met uh, in the capacity mm-hmm. that it needs. If it's breeding, well, I want to make sure this animal has. Well, I mean, honestly, if you're giving this animal what it needs, uh, mimicking its natural environment as best as possible, you're probably going to meet all its needs anyways. If you're giving yeah. it the right thermal climate, if you're giving it the right, you know, UV choices and control over things, you're probably going to encourage that animal to do what you want it to do anyways. I always say that my animals at home, and, and obviously it changes things now that I have young kids as well as you do, who are, and, and Kevin does as well, who are experiencing these things themselves. And and I, But I always say that the animals here have a job. And that job, 99.9% of the time, is to create more turtles you know them yeah uh the the only uh, exception to that right now is one alligator snapping turtle which is newer and is here for educational purposes because we do a lot of educational talks and things like that and and those always land really well it's like i i can hear charlie morkoff's voice in my ear saying like you know after you're going through and you're showing them small turtle species after small turtle species like like we keep like 15 different types of box turtles here, like going down the line, eventually it's like, Oh, okay. It's another box turtle that I can't, I don't know. Like they all look the same. Okay. It's a spider tortoise. It's a Florida box turtle. They look the same to me, you know? So, so um, shaking that up a little bit, but, but they all have a job here. Do, Do you feel, do you feel like right now you're still kind of feeling things out and you're in transition with your family and with your animals at home or are you excited to kind of run things on your own without, having to like ask anyone besides your wife about what the goal is or is it to breed or is it to, you know, excite the kids or, or what is it? What's the, what's the plan? All of the above. Um, no, when I, I talk to my wife about everything, you know, since the turtles have come into the picture, there's definitely been more interest. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm going to fan those flames, man. Uh, you know, I want to grow that fire. Uh, so and she's into it. I'm into it. The kids like it. So of course we're all going to talk about it. Um, we had some hard decisions when I, when I sold some Florida box turtles, you know, the kids were not excited to see those animals leave. Um, but that was kind of part of what, what we're doing with these guys. They understand that. And, um, uh, we have more eggs incubating. We have babies that are still being, that are, we're raising up as future breeding stock. Um, but at the same time, breeding isn't necessarily the number one goal. Yes, it feels awesome to hatch out some baby turtles. So it feels like you've done it. Um, but have you? I mean, is that the goal? Are we rating ourselves by is someone a good keeper because they reproduce this animal more than somebody else? You know, that's not always the best uh, uh, measuring stick for if someone's knowledgeable and good at keeping animals. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it happens in zoos too. A lot of the measures of success are related to you know who's breeding what instead of like who's advancing husbandry more mm-hmm. you know zoos have the capacity to do so much more um and so do, i mean so do we as individuals who have been in this like uh i mean shoot pyramiding right i mean you guys know exactly what causes that now no i mean we have some ideas and it, it have a better idea now but I mean, that seems like something we probably could have figured out at some point, especially in Zeus, but most of the most of the effort has been put towards reproduction. And I'm not saying that was the bad thing, but it's not the only source of it's not the only measure of success. 
So, yeah, I mean, I want a lot of the animals that keep, I, I do want them to eventually reproduce. However, I'm not going to be mad if they don't. And I don't think the kids right. will either. We'll be like, well, the tortoise had a good year. And, and honestly, no, uh, I, I can't relate it to all turtles and tortoises because they probably do reproduce on an annual basis, sometimes more than that. But I um, mean, there are certain snake species that uh, I've bred every year for the longest time, like carpet pythons. And, um, you know, they don't naturally breed every year. They do in our care because I pump them full of rats and get that mm -hmm. body thing better. Is that good for them to lose that much weight, gain that much weight, lose that much gain? You know what I mean? Is that natural? Are we sacrificing longevity of animals just to pump out more? I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying those are ethical questions I think everybody has to ask themselves at some point. Right. I'm sorry, did I answer Absolutely. the question? I got off on yeah, a Yeah, no, totally. I love it. You went on, you went on another tangent and better. answered it better than Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think those are good questions to ask. I have a question bringing it back to like the fact that we're, you know, you're a head zookeeper. Uh, you know, I, I go to the zoo. I have memberships to a couple different zoos that are local or, you know, an hour or two driving away, you know, I love bringing my kids to see the, the animals and whatnot. Um, and I, I'm like, personally, I'm a reptile guy, right? But I go to the zoos and I don't really even care about seeing the reptiles because I, that's all I'm into all the time. So like, I love going and I love seeing like the red pandas. It's one of my favorite things in the world, you know, uh, or seeing these other animals. Now you being in a zoo every day, like, are you, are you always so much more excited to see the reptiles you're working with? Or you're like, you know, that's one of the coolest animals I've ever seen. It's not, I mean, say it's a mammal. It's not what you're passionate about necessarily, but it's just the beauty of it, you know, like everything about it. All the above, man. I think, you know, I just, I, everything is, I just met a red panda for the first time, like last yeah. week. I'll okay. show you a picture of how dumb my face looked. Someone caught the moment I actually <laughs> met and touched one and I look yeah. ridiculous, but I, I'm just so, it's, it's not always just about the animals. Like I love bongo. I love walking by the bongo exhibit at work because I find them such an incredibly crazy, cool looking creature. And I like to go by that way. And then when if, I, we have animals in many buildings, so I'm always out walking around. So I try to take different paths. So I see different animals. That's one of the beauties of, of working in a zoological facility. Yeah. But then you meet some of the keepers too. And you, and you know, they're just as passionate about like red pandas as I am about Galapagos tortoises. Sure. Um, and it easily gets you more excited and like, you're like, oh, yeah, man, I really like red pandas. Shoot. Yeah. Um, and I just hope that sometimes when I'm talking to those people that they get jazzed about some of the animals I am as well. But no, I, I used to take it for granted and every, every now and then I do. But, uh, you know, you have those days where you walk by uh, an exhibit and maybe you see the tiger out there and you're just like, Phew, this is so cool. I can come yeah. see this tiger five days a week if I wanted to, or I could, you know what I mean? I can go watch these rescued manatees being rehabilitated and getting ready to be released. Like it's, I can do that every day and you know, it's easy to take for granted. So I do my best not to, but I'm an, okay. I'm, a, I'm an animal guy, definitely really, really focused on reptiles and especially turtles, but um, I'm an animal guy in general. I and mean, we have a backyard list of the different species we've seen in the backyard. I haven't updated it, but uh, in a while, but yeah, we keep that small little list. Awesome. That's really cool. Can I just ask one more question and then we'll get to our first, um, our first segment, but I wanted which to is ask more questions. One. Yeah. Which is more questions. Yeah. But uh, so you, you had, 
you worked at not just one, but a couple different aquariums in Connecticut, where Kevin and I are from. You mentioned also Newport Aquarium as well, and now you're at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden. Uh, and so there's a little trend here, right? And we, we I think sometimes everybody wants to be a zookeeper, like everybody does, okay? Um, you know, I work in the veterinary field. Every kid wants to be a veterinarian. Every kid wants to be a zookeeper. So... You know, we had a friend of ours, James Hall, on, um, who was at the Phoenix Zoo, uh, and just to talk about like what it really means, and the, the title of the episode, this was a couple of years ago now, but it was, so you want to be a zookeeper. Um, but he hadn't moved around as much. I think he had one large move, but you've moved a little bit. And like, can you talk a little bit about, we don't have to get into like why certain jobs weren't great or certain places weren't great or scared you away or whatever, but like, the movement, why the movement, why is that so necessary and and how did it help you to get to where you are? You know, I used to have a different answer for this, but you know, it, it's it's up to each individual. Now, if you're willing to move, you have more opportunities to get the job you were hoping to get, you know? So there is that benefit. However, I, I have seen people stick around their hometown and get a job at their their local zoological facility or aquarium and it happens now i saw a position as a herpetologist thought it might be fun to live in washington dc there was not going to be anything close to me open for a while so i, I took a shot at it and i moved out to washington dc um and made very little money in a very expensive city uh, <laughs> so after spending four years there, I feel like I grew a lot. I was, uh, I had a really great team of people there. It was a wonderful place to work for. Um, but I just, we didn't have anything venomous. We didn't have large crocodilians. Um, I had the good fortune to meet Jim Murphy, um, who is a Dallas Zoo guy who, uh, then was at, he, he, if you don't know who James Murphy is, Jim Murphy is, he's probably, he's more of a snake guy. <clears throat> more of a non-turtle guy probably and, and reptile guy but an absolute icon in the zoological field just an incredibly intelligent man um and he advised me you know if, if you want to move up in this if you want to do more you need to work at a place that has a large collection and then so i said okay i'm gonna start looking and then as it turned out you know one of his proteges don boyer um spent a lot of time from san diego zoo had just become the curator at the bronx zoo and there was an opening and he recommended I apply for it. And I did. And I was fortunate and got that job. So um, I moved from a nice uh, expensive place to live to a nice, more expensive place to live. Uh, <laughs> but working at the Bronx Zoo was it was life changing. There was another. And, and again, I want to reiterate that the, the, the aquarium, the National Aquarium was absolutely fantastic, full of great people. I loved my time there, but it was time for me to go somewhere where I could get a little more experience with something that just wasn't going to be a possibility there. And I mean, there was just so much. I was finally with a team of her of like herp minded people. And every day it was just like, you just go guns blazing. You know, you worked your tail off and you were tired, but you didn't care. You know, you yeah. took your breaks and stuff, but I mean, you were just constantly doing stuff and it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could get it the list of species that they had there was just, I learned so much in such a short period of time. Um, but after that, I, I looked for a supervisor position and went to mystic aquarium, um, after two years at the Bronx and 
it wasn't what I had hoped it would be. I met some of uh, some of the greatest people ever at Mystic Aquarium. It, it's a it's a nice facility. Um, but then I moved back to Norwalk and I was at the Maritime Aquarium for a short period of time before some different during that time, some different things were going on personally in my life. And uh, I didn't stay at Maritime that long, but another fantastic place. If you, if you haven't been there and you're from the area, you have to go check it out. Um, but then I moved back uh, and I was at the Newport Aquarium here in the Cincinnati area for three years. And I've been at the Cincinnati Zoo for four. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes moving around is to... Uh, you're taking advantage of opportunities, but, and I never intended to end up back in Cincinnati. I was just going to see where it took me and and just go. Um, but it just so happens that I ended up back here. The Cincinnati Zoo is the place I first got an internship in 2001. Um, so I, I am older than I look probably. And it's just nice to be here. I love this place. I love this area. I met the, the, the love of my life here and I have my, my kids. I mean, I'm extremely fortunate that it that it worked out like this, but some people are super lucky um, and get a job at the zoo that's local to them when they're young and they're just in there. They just yeah. made it. They just got it. And it, I, it's not common, but it does happen. Do you feel like if you got that internship and you stayed at Cincinnati Zoo, you'd be in the position you are now? I have no idea, but if I doubt it, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't going to wait around and find out. I was yeah. going to try to go make my it. own path. I love it. Really cool. Ryan, how old are your children? Uh, nine and a half and <laughs> uh, almost three. Okay. Awesome. I have an almost three-year-old also next this month, actually. Uh, hey. You're nine and a, yeah. Uh, you're nine and a half-year-old. Are they boy or girl? My oldest is a girl, Emmy, and the youngest is a boy, Peter. Okay, so does Emmy want to follow in your footsteps? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm giving them every opportunity to get excited yeah. about it, but yeah. um, I want my my whole goal in life is to make sure that they're happy and that they're able to follow whatever their passion is. I hope yeah. it's turtles. Sure, why yeah, not? Yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. Um, but if it's ballet, if it's dance, if it's uh, art, if it's, I don't give I, I really don't don't care. I'm going to support them no matter what. I just As awesome. long as they're happy, that's all I care about. That's great, man. Awesome. That's really good. So it's time for our first uh, our first and only segment for the show. <laughs> All our- Minto's Mailbag. Oh, you just winked at me. You did. You, here. That happened. <laughs> that was the, the digital version, not the live version. Kevin, I've never met anyone who looked more like their avatar, their cartoon it's, avatar. It's because I'm so simple, man. I'm a Q-tip. Look at this. You are. You're the type specimen. I, I used to be offended by that, but now I appreciate it. You know, type type. Here's this guy. He's just uh, a guy, no, perfect guy. Just a guy. Wouldn't say perfect. I got a, you know, definitely not perfect, but yeah. That's what's perfect about you. You're right. Yeah, hey, there it is. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. All your flaws so, are perfect. A lot of them. Too many flaws. Uh, but I'm cool with it. So the first question is exactly not a question. It was a statement from somebody in there, but I'm kind of turning it into a question. So the statement was that private breeders and zoos need to work together more often. So my question to you based off of that is what suggestions would you have for people like say in the connections working group with Jeremy, who's like amazing at what he does and everything that he's accomplished with everybody, uh, private keepers to collaborate more with zoos and are zoos, even your zoo say, or any zoo you work with even remotely interested in that aspect. Yeah, I think it's happening probably more than you would think, especially in the, in the turtle and tortoise realm. Um, 
turtles and tortoises live a long dang time. Uh, they need places to go. The number one limiting factor for conservation in zoos is space. There will always be space. Um, you just can't keep that many things, especially as we move towards um, trying to keep these guys better, give them more space, give them what they really need uh, to feel not only physically well, but mentally well. Um, is We're going to run into more space issues. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure the best way to get into it. Um, I, if someone, if there's an individual who really had that statement and wants that, to ask me that question privately, you know, I'd be happy to talk with that person as much as I could to help you out. It doesn't always work out, uh, but there are plenty. I mean, I, I'm a zookeeper and I'm holding on to some lone animals. <laughs> um, you know, it, it does, it, it can happen. I think the Turtle Survival Alliance is probably a really, probably the best um, example of that happening. You know, they're, a, they're, I think only recently have passed like maybe three or four years, three or five years where an AZ accredited or certified facility or something. Um, but they're really well, well respected. They follow strict standards. They meet a lot of um, things. And you just got to be careful, though. You know, and that's why zoos are hesitant. Huh? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I didn't want to undershoot it. So they've been so you, operating the for well over 15 right years. Okay. All so right, so the EZA has been accredited for just about two years now, not much longer. The TSA, the Turtle Survival Alliance, has been AZA certified. Um, absolutely, I, I don't have to tell you guys, absolutely. Oh, Sorry, guys, hold on. There's a bald-faced hornet. Oh, gosh, this is awesome. Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm the I live stream. I those yesterday. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, I think. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. But are you okay? It flew away. So if I can just take, if I can just take this this opportunity, just with with that last question. So people need, and I don't even know who sent it. And I agree with you. We we need to collaborate more with the zoos. The zoos need to collaborate more with us. I'm a firm believer in that. With that said, Allison. With that said, Wes, thank you so much, Wes. With that said, we have to own our part in this. We, as a collective, and I say we, although I in no way identify with ninety percent of like animal sales and what goes on and what we look like in the public eye, right? But if 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 an alien came to Earth and and or if I don't know, someone who didn't have a lot of knowledge of turtles or tortoises and, and they had to get an idea of what it was like, what we do as turtle people, the first place they would go is the classifieds, right? We do not represent ourselves well. I'll use an example, okay, to take this one step further. Ray Farrell runs the Cora Flava Marginata. This is something I've talked about on, on the podcast before, but he runs the, the Flavo Taxon Management Group for the TSA, and they have for a very low amount of money, like $15 each, offered for people who were uh, members of the TSA for at least two years uh, for this very nominal fee, flavos that they could keep and raise that would be technically owned by the TSA and on loan to you, and then the offspring gets split. 
Well, the vast majority of people disappear. Those animals end up being sold with their notches, uh, with the shell notches from the program, getting sold at um, reptile shows. I mean, this is a great example of, of that being put into practice and people do not take it seriously. And nothing, when I was coming up on this and I wanted to make connections with people and all the rest of it, nothing made me upset more than when people were lucky enough to get that opportunity that we've been begging for and we didn't deliver on it. So you have to understand it's a very tough world to break into and we're fighting an uphill battle against all of those bad situations that have happened with zoos where they've been burned by private people in the past. At least if I partner with a zoo, I know if I partner with the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens and I'm working with Ryan, but Ryan leaves. That could be that could be detrimental to my project because the person who comes in might be obsessed with dart frogs, and now the zoo doesn't want to keep the turtles anymore, or whatever. And it could totally ruin something. But at least I know that someone is going to be paid, and someone's going to be there to take care of things, and won't just fall off the face of the earth. And now there are exceptions because I did want to ask you too what you thought about the the young man who was like the poster child of of radiated tortoise work in Madagascar and then was stealing Galapagos tortoises from the zoo that he worked at. So I wanted to ask you, right? Yeah, I wanted to ask your, your feedback on that. So there's there's exceptions on both sides. Um, but you know, I think us us private folks need to understand uh, that that we're fighting an uphill battle that is our own. And it's not it's not me and it's not Kevin and it's not Steve and it's not you Wes. But but in the eyes of the people on the other side of the aisle, that's us and that's who we belong to. And it's not worth the effort for them all the time to work with us. So that's, you know, we just need to work that much harder to find the perfect opportunities and to continue to make a good a good name for ourselves um, as best that we can. Sorry, I want to well, Very well said. You know, Thank the, you. the risks uh, cannot outweigh the benefits. Yeah. You know, so you have to. You know, you have to kind of prove yourself, I think. Um, yeah. How do we can trust our value. Yeah. The value of what we have to offer. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's saying it isn't going to do it. It's like you can't just go and, and talk a good game. That's not how it works. It's not like you're getting somebody on Craigslist to, to give you their Russian tortoise that they don't want anymore. You know, there you can talk a good game and make it work. You know the scientific name. Okay, cool. You can have the Russian tortoise. Like, your your people are savvy to it because they've been through it before. They've been burned before. Um, in the same situation, so why are they going to bend over backwards? So, so that, though, that it's a, it's it is a two sided. Uh, there are two sides, and I think that um, not all zoos, but many zoos are maybe I don't know if it's too proud or they just don't want to. But there's so much to be learned from the private hobby as well. Uh, there's a lot of untapped data, uncollected data, unfortunately, but there's a lot of uh, potential there to really advance much faster if if, if working together. So, I mean, I don't think it's a one-sided thing. I think that there are there's work to be done on both sides. Uh, just, you know, zoos happen to hold more cards. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't have to deal, and this, we don't have to deal with the, the bureaucratic red tape that happens at zoos, too, where it has to go up the chain of command to try to do something, and you don't even know if it's going to happen or not. Like, for us, it's like, hey, here's this opportunity. I'm going to do it, and we can make something happen and, you know, be breeding the species six months later. Yep. Um, so, so talking about that, that Galapagos tortoise situation, uh, um, it, so we know that, that zookeepers generally, it's not a job that you're going to get rich, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I think it takes a certain level of selfishness that is like pretty profound for someone to do that. But I'm just wondering, like, should we be, and I'm not saying what I think my answer to this is at all, but should we be surprised when something like that happens? Like, you know, zookeepers, you know, like, I don't know if it's entry level people who have access to stuff or, or what, but should we be surprised that when the value of an animal is $5,000 for an egg, um, that somebody would would take that thing home and and do that from the zip. Are you familiar with that story? Yeah, I am familiar with that okay. story. Surprise, probably not. Um, I mean, there, I mean, there are things about being a zookeeper that is really hard to deal with. We have a a group of five um, Minoria Emmys Emmys, and every year we probably destroy around a hundred eggs. That sucks. <laughs> you destroy them because you just don't have the space to keep. They're the not genetically. They're part of an SSP, and they're not genetically strong animals. And the last thing you want, especially with turtles and tortoises, uh, as you can see in probably the pancake tortoise SSP, is um, and others. Tortoises live a long time. If you if you are not responsibly breeding those animals, you are creating genetically not very strong turtles and tortoises. And once they hatch, I mean, you, you, you have to take care of those animals, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when this, in, the, in Minoria, I mean, that's probably 50, 60 years. Um, and you're responsible for that. And, you know, and if large. we had hatched, yeah. I mean, came, I mean, in the last three years, if we had hatched all the eggs, you know, we, you know, we might have two or 300 tortoises and, that aren't genetically recommended breeders. Then what? Yeah. Why so are they not has, recommended? Is it because they're already well represented in the yeah. SSP? Or okay, I wasn't yeah, sure if they just were recommended. Got it. Yeah, and usually it's 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 both. Usually some are like our the male we have is a potential genetically strong, but the other ones are well represented. Um, and basically, the the goal for most SSPs or for SSPs, I think now even with the new stuff, is you want to be able to maintain ninety percent genetic diversity through a hundred years. And so if you overrepresent it, you really kind of bring that down. But yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough. So to at least I, I, I'm not always comfortable with pitching eggs. Can you imagine um, uh, right. your spider tortoises, Anthony? Right. You know, you get like two eggs and you're like, oh, these are genetically trash. <laughs> get rid of them. Make an expensive like, omelet. Yeah, yeah. It's, I can't it's imagine. Hard to, it's hard to do. Well, yeah. See, and that's the thing in the zoological world. I, we, you know, it's it's strange. I don't think of value, right? Like monetary value. I'm not thinking right. I'm throwing away like three hundred dollar a baby Minoria eggs. Yeah. It's like ah, that sucks. Goodbye, tortoise. Um. So, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it just you're so at work, you're programmed. It's not my money. <laughs> you, yeah. know, so you don't think about those. I at least I don't think about that stuff as much. Um, Can they just be repurposed but, those eggs as opposed to just throwing them away? Like, can they be fed to like some snakes or something like that? Or some we monitors. do occasionally get approval to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, okay. occasionally, but it, there is some, there's some red tape. Yeah, yeah even for that. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, I would okay. love to continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I actually the there's one one other question I want to get to, but I want to go back to this still with the the guy with the oh, box in Oklahoma. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I did a good job not answering that. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't expect you to. Look, I hear you don't want to talk trash about your own, you know. Uh, but 
he I think he was cited saying that he he sold 21 of them, 21 Galapagos tortoises to uh, it was Ken Foose, who's deceased at this point. Uh, but how do you how does a zoo not know that 21 Galapagos tortoises are missing? Eggs. eggs? Yeah, they were eggs. eggs. OK, so taking the eggs, hatch hatched them, them at home because it's large clutches. So it's like, oh, wow, look at this. It was a 23 egg clutch, but it was really a 26 egg clutch. Gotcha, there's okay. a there's a lot of trust in zookeepers, you know. Uh, yeah. A lot of times you're the only one seeing those animals. So they are trusting that you're accurately putting in that information. This tortoise laid 25 eggs, you know, yeah. not that it laid 35, but you wrote 25. Um, yeah. But it's important to eggs. have those full numbers in there as well, just so you know what to expect from your animals later down the road. Like, oh, weird. Last year she laid 35. This year she only laid 20. So weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I don't want to get into too much of that, but uh, it's a situation where it no, it's just, it's just a situation where I don't know that individual. You know, I can't. I'm not going to say that that was an okay thing to do necessarily. I don't know what that individual was going through. Who knows? Okay. Um, hopefully, sure. there was some sort of ethical, moral reason they felt that that was well, a good I thing mean, to do. But 21 glops are that's not a, a cheap thing. You know, it's not like a I no a car payment. I got to get this going. That's that's a large yeah. sum of money. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, and a good example. Please go ahead. Oh, and I was just I I really I know this. I know the basics of that story. I do not know enough to really give you a, yeah. a strong um, opinion one way or the other. Um, there are part that most of me is like, yeah, it's probably not the greatest thing to do. There are parts of me that can understand it on certain levels, but I would never do it. So sure, yeah. Do you I would think never this take is happening in zoos? Sort of... Oh yeah. Do you think this is happening in a lot of zoos? Like, it just maybe this is shining a light on something that's happening that most people don't know about. Not in my experience. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't think, think so either. Yeah. I, but I mean, there's so many AZA and 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 ZAA institutions across the country. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because at first I was like infuriated. I was really upset that, you know, this, and, and saddened to see this young kid who was doing really good things and making a name for himself, ruin all of that. And I was sad about the animals. And then it got me thinking about the, the question that Wes had, which is that, that collaboration between the private sector and, and the zoologic uh, side as well. And, and like, you know, there's, there's bad eggs, pun intended, on both sides, and and we're talking about humans, and humans make mistakes, and it's complicated, you know. And anytime that you say like, I don't have time for that group of people, like, I think we've learned through politics and and human rights and everything else that that doesn't really work, and it's not really fair, and um, it's you know. I, I want to see collaboration across the board. So, so going back to that, Wes, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm saying it's, it's hopeless. I think it's even more important because of this. Um, but this is just an example that kind of things can get uh, negative things can happen on both sides, and and we need to work together and, and find like-minded people. And there are. I mean, we were just talking about Michael Ogle. Like, that's a great example of someone who is at the tip top. And and the other people who work at zoos that we've had on here who are, you know, like, like Dante Finolio, he didn't have to come on here and talk to us from the San Antonio zoo. I mean, that guy's big time, you know, and, and 
and uh, you don't have to be here with us today, Ryan, but you're here. And that, you know, that shows that we have a shared passion and those people are out there um, and we can make the connection. So it's just even more important to, to try to do all that we can. So um, Kevin, yeah, my, so are you laughing at me? No, I, I'm, I just like you, you know, and uh, I like you too. I'm, I'm quickly becoming a fan of Ryan here, you know, so right? I like beard. I like the beard. I like the hair. I'm envious of it. You know, I can't wear a ball cap because <laughs> I just look stupid. Uh, you know, <laughs> this, is, uh, this next one's from Jeremy Thompson. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, great to see Ryan getting some camera time. Fantastic keeper. Doing some neat things with wind, lighting, feeding, photo periods, and husbandry in general. Please yes, share yes. what you're doing with your Conexus Homiana enclosures. I love it because that's the last thing I had on my list that I wanted to make sure I touched on. So thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for doing my job for me and doing a better job. Jeremy, that was a lot of questions wrapped into one, man. I think it was just one question and a lot of like, you know, hyping you up. Yes. Um, hey, Jeremy, give him a shout out. Um, Jeremy is the first person I reached out to when I was looking into getting into Conixus Homiana and he has been available, uh, text calling anything just, uh, he, he kind of inspires me to keep working too. And I think that's what everybody needs is like, Oh, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Are you inspired? Oh, you're inspiring. Like you need to, you need this connection of just like, Oh shit, what's he doing? Oh, I gotta try that. You know? Um, so just, just a great dude. Um, uh, along with like David Mifsud, uh, been really, really helpful to me with the Homiana, uh, Tom Arbor, uh, just some good Conixus folk right there. Um, but yeah, I keep all my Homiana right now in a, uh, closed chamber kind of setup. They're all in an actual four foot, four foot by two foot by 15 inch, uh, AP cages, animal plastics cages. Um, is that like a vision and, type enclosure? Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, you guys never keep snakes, so you don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They are PVC cages. Uh, I should say habitats. I'm trying to, you know, a lot of people think that um, words aren't important, but I think they are. Uh, I think cages, even enclosures, that's how we feel. Usually we feel better saying that, but uh, start saying habitats when you're talking about your place and you'll feel better about it, I promise. And you'll start just by doing anyways, little, little, that's a great point. but uh, yeah, each uh, they've. I mean, I, what I've got them in is it's basically I I keep them like I'd want to keep eastern box turtles really or Florida box turtles. I think they're just very similar to box turtles, uh, just from Africa. Um, they like it damp and humid. They don't like it too hot. They like a little bit of UV. They have a, an incredibly omnivorous diet, and um, so I just try to mix that all in. Um, the things that he's probably talking about is um i mean i have them on a photo period with an led light but i have those shade dweller arcadia t5 high output uh, uvb bulbs and those are on a randomized timer for basking so like in my my room downstairs i have um one circuit that is on a big mechanical timer and that's the photo that's a light timer so i take an analog timer and i plug it into that light timer and so it has randomized settings. So the timer turns off when the light turns off. So the time's never right on it. But to me, every, so it turns out that these Conixies, I, I give them right around four to six hours of available UVB uh, per day, at least right now when I have longer days. Uh, but every day it's different when it turns on um, because of that timer so randomized. And I think that's important for um, 
enrichment. I think it's important for mental state because these guys are going through damp, like dappled sunlight forests. And sometimes mm -hmm. there's some sun okay. out, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's cloud cover going over. There's all kinds of things that are happening that we're not replicating. I mean, you think about your lights, it's like, if you're one of those people at least separates them right like oh here's your daytime light here's your basking light your daytime lights on for 12 hours your basking lights on for six every day doesn't change mm -hmm. now for breeding i think there's some you know consistency sake for that um but there are other factors that you can do but anyways i just like it for that for that reason is that it's different for them i can't go in every day and give them something enriching especially for conixus who are notoriously shy even the captive bred ones i mean they're they're not um as shy as like the long-term captive kind of ones but um just being able to give them something different something to think make them make a choice um is something i think is important so on the same token i have basking yeah they're basking and their uv is on that so it comes on at the same time so they they can warm up to the ambience about 76 maybe 75 and the winter it gets down to like 68 but the basking and the UV kick on and it might get to 82 to 85. But if I left that on all day, you got to think, you know, they have an optimal body temperature. And if they reach that, they don't want to be somewhere that's warm. So if it's if they're getting 85 degrees and their optimal body temperature is maybe 80, once they get to 80, they have to get away from that. But now that whole section of that habitat is just not usable because they're just going to go over optimum. So you, effectively if you don't have some type of mechanism to kind of give them an option uh, to kind of cut that back a little bit in my brain i'm taking away usable footprint for those guys mm -hmm. and that didn't sit well with me um so the but anyways that's it's pretty simple to consider that too. it's just pretty simple to do uh, on my end uh and the other thing that jeremy's talking about is something i got some computer fans and wired them to the thing and uh they're on a kind of i keep them on during most of the day now but um i just ran out of space on my randomized timer thing but um i used to have those randomized timer too because when i was looking at zoo exhibits and i'm thinking when you look uh you see a snake in the wild see a turtle in the wild i mean there's so many other factors involved wind like is one of them um ventilation i mean this is a closed chamber so it holds humidity really well um but just adding those little computer fans kind of just forcing some good air exchange as well as just some breeze you know that's just something that's also adding to the their mental state while they're in there that i felt was important so i'm, I'm like enriching them and giving them choices and enrichment without having to do anything personally <laughs> so it's mainly it's mainly built out of being very lazy <laughs> and that that leads into the last thing that i wanted to touch on that i actually didn't have written down which is hilarious because it's the main thing i wanted to, to ask about but when um i heard you share the um the kind of the the checklist for animal wellness that's being used like that you use at your zoo but that you've also kind of adopted in your own care as well can you speak to that a little bit for us yeah, I did not develop any of it, um, <laughs> stole it straight up uh, from the zoo, but I found it wonderful. Um, and it's, I have a YouTube video on it, animal wellness video. Um, feel free to check that out. And it'll probably, it'll be a lot more in detail than what I'll probably be able to do here. But essentially it's just, there's, there's five, sorry, I wrote it down so I could remember. 
Um, essentially, there's just five things that you want to kind of investigate. Um, and it's health, nutrition, environment, behavior, and mental health. And basically, I, I go through each of those and, and rate them a one through five. One being doesn't experience any aspect of this. And a five being experiences excellence in this category. Um, so like health could be, health is very simple. Health can be like, do you have a, a veterinarian on call that you know you can go talk to and that you, you know, if something happens, you know where you're going with that animal. That, I mean, that can be a, a close to a four or five already, just having that plan. Um, nutrition, are you meeting every aspect of that animal's nutritional needs somehow? Um, and environment, I mean, we're, that's what the enrichment comes into into play. Are they exhibiting behaviors they would they would exhibit in in C two? Then mental health is, you know, sometimes that's kind of a guessing game, right? Or <laughs> I don't know exactly how to to do that, but I think when you see those natural behaviors and they're exhibiting those, you are probably um, hitting a lot of those. You're probably giving that animal the best shot at having a mental health, a uh, strong mental health. But the video goes into a lot more of that. But the important thing isn't that like you do this with your animals and you're like, ah, oh, I got all fives or oh. it, it's not even that. Honestly, I think it's important for people to just, I like it because it just makes you think. It just yeah. makes you spend time to evaluate it. Um, and really all it, all it does for me, and I, and I probably don't do them often enough for my personal animals, but, um, what it does for me is it, it really highlights, you know, maybe you have a, a three in nutrition and everything else looks fairly good and it, three isn't bad, but could you improve on it? Yeah. So it kind of forces you to say, well, crap, what am I not giving them that I could? And then now you're spending time looking at the diet of this animal through maybe primary literature or other source literature sources um and you're taking time to think about that animal's welfare and how you can make it better um and that's all all that really is it's not supposed to be something you share and be like i got this or oh i must be a terrible keeper if you're actually going through this with your animals even if you score yourself yeah. low i think you're already a notch above yeah. most keepers yeah you're making an effort you're yeah, actually stopping to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of so just I, going, how can I make this better? You're taking a quantitative approach um, to write it down and get a number and very clearly identify areas where not only where you can improve, but also it gives you the option to pick a goal. You say, like, oh, the total composite score was a 3.6. All right. Well, I'm going to make some changes this year. And hopefully the next time I do this, I'm, I'm at a four. You know, mm -hmm. so having tangible quantitative goals is also very helpful. And are you writing in a justification in each one to like, like diet, I'm giving a three, you know, it's good that we have a, a pellet staple and we're supplementing with X, Y, Z, but in the wild, they're also eating this and this, and I'm not sure that we're replicating that. So it's a three, like, are you actually being able to like write that in when you're doing that? So like a form that you're using? At work, we have some animals that we go into very deep dives with and others that we just kind of, I mean, we have, you know, 200 animals. So it's a, it's a little bit long of a process. At home, I have a lot more time per animal because I have nowhere near that amount of animals. Um, and I can kind of do that. Like if I, if I notice that I am only feed, I like I've gone through and I'm only feeding like pellets, like Missouri tortoise pellets and mushrooms all the time. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. not really hitting on a lot. Uh -uh. Right. And it just, yeah. So, I mean, you should be taking that. If you're going to do this at home, you mean, you should, 
even if you just take a moment and just kind of go off the cusp, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's still helpful. It's still very helpful. Personally, I think about it a lot more and what I can do. Um, How often are you looking at that? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, after you. You finish your thought. I didn't. This is just great radio right now. Uh, do, how many, how often are you doing that? Like once, uh, honestly, once, about once a year. Gotcha. I think with turtles and tortoises, it's a little tougher. Um, cause you, you need time to make change. You need time to see the reactions to certain things. Sure. Um, but yeah. With, um, with the feeding aspect of it, do you think of the benefit keepers, private keepers or zoo keepers to have? like a dedicated schedule where it's like you know what on mondays i feed a puntia on tuesdays they get missouri on wednesdays whatever hibiscus or whatever you want you know that's not how i do it i mean you have to do what works best for you and your animals personally i just don't think that uh i try to keep things as natural as possible as i can and i don't think that every sunday is a puncha day for most wild wild yeah, tortoises yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and every thursday it's like <laughs> oh here comes my missouri you know um so I try to make sure that I feed myself, my animals, a certain myself. I feed myself well. I try to feed my animals a certain amount of times within a time range. Um, one of the things that's always bothered me, and I'm going to touch on snakes here for just a second, is like when you think of feeding snakes, you think of once per week, right? Once a week, once a month. Like that is such a strange way to think about feeding an animal. Um, instead of like, um, like my Burmese pythons at work, we I feed them seasonally. So in the summer, they yeah. get fed maybe every two to three weeks. In the shoulder seasons, they get fed once a month, and then they fast for three for three months in the winter because it, in my brain, it correlates more with uh, the wet season rising, more yeah. food availability. They're eating, they're eating, uh, and they're kind of eating strong to get ready for that dry season where food availability is going to be low. Um, but I also... I, as far as turtles and tortoises go, I feed on the light side, very light side. Mm -hmm. I think that I personally see tortoises growing way too fast everywhere. Um, I, I, I take usually monthly weights of all my tortoises and I graph it on Google Sheets because I like to see that real smooth, slow, linear growth. But when you start seeing that exponential curve on your charts, you know you're is probably mm -hmm. not normal for for most tortoise species, or at least at least the ones I keep. But I am horrified of growing animals too fast. So Ryan, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we have a tool called the Digital Colonian Log, where you can log in and input the weights of all your animals, and it gives you that graph. It does everything for you. You can compare what? multiple multiple animals against each other. And this is free to whoever wants to use it. We do offer paid features, but uh, if you want to go on there and check it out, absolutely free to try out. The paid version. I'm gives a member. You yeah, you got to start using it, man. Why are you using Google Sheets? Google doesn't need your business. <laughs> well, because I obviously didn't do a very good job of reading all the benefits. Uh, yeah. I will. I can. I have a, a quite a few weights that I can input for a variety of turtles and tortoises. What's it called? Uh, the Digital Colonial Log. You just do dcl .org. And for all you people out there, I'll put that in the chat yeah, as well. Yeah. I might just ask Anthony to, or one of you guys to message that to me. No problem. Right yeah, 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 I can well, work Kevin's on that. I've got plenty. It's awesome. You, you, you could put in a, if you, let's say you started uh, Homiana hypothetically with 
some with hatchlings, but you got three hatchlings in 2017 and three hatchlings now. You can put all the weights in there and we'll show you them compared to each other at the same age. So, you know, you'll, you'll estimate the hatch rate. Oh, that's only no. our version feature, Steve? Oh, I'm embarrassed. I just lied that's to you. Steve, Steve's correcting me. People, but who knows? Maybe in the future there'll be a I'm embarrassed. version for you guys, Canceling too. Canceling my membership now. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know that, Steve. How come, how come you didn't give me the best feature, Steve? I've got a lot of ropes for you guys. Let's talk about Steve. It would be neat to cross-reference uh, other people's collections and stuff, so. Yeah. There's a public option where people can share their data if they want to. Steve's explaining everything right now. I've got them on the ropes for you guys. I'm going to bat for you guys right now. It's still a great, <laughs> DCL still a great free thing to use. Coming. Yeah, you can have up to like 25 animals listed and, and all their data entered for free. There's not many people that have more than 25 animals. They're like Anthony's got yeah. 75, you know. I don't know. I don't know anyone who has more than twenty-five animals. That would be ridiculous. That's what I tell my wife anyway. <laughs> I always, I always reference you when I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, look, I could be like Anthony and have this many, you know. And she's like, all right, all right, settle down. Yeah, I talk about like Andrew Hermes and Chris and we all have Bill that McCord, friend, right? <laughs> yeah, you have not... to. Right. Actually, it's what Bill McCourt says that when you go to visit him, he'll say, like, you know, we bring people here, like, people like to bring their wives so they can see, see, honey, I'm not that bad. Because he's got so many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I just love. Bill's property is, like, I was, I was shook. I was like, wow, this is nuts. I don't know how he does it. Next level. Next level. Yeah. And then it's funny that people come and see my stuff and think that, too. Well, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. Anywho, um, yeah, so this has been a really good conversation. Ryan, I could see us having you on in the future to talk more. I'm really excited to make this connection with you. This is the longest conversation we've ever had, and I hope that it's, you know, not the last long conversation that we have. I hope it's the first of many, many, many to come. Um, any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? Uh, you know, not really. I, all I can say is uh, I definitely appreciate uh, you having me on, it's been fun to 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 see you guys and and talk turtle. Um, I do. Uh, I think the podcast is like one of the first things I remember listening to because there's just a paucity of turtle related content out there. I mean, obviously, I'm downloading Turtley Devoted when it comes out because it's like <laughs> I need some. I listen to podcasts at work like crazy. Um, so as a as a teaser, though, my wife who is amazing. And I are uh, probably this fall we'll we'll be releasing a new podcast okay. with, um, called yeah. Let's Talk Turtles. So uh, uh -oh. hey, look out for that petition. Oh, that's great! I love it. I love it. Petition. Yeah. This is no, the more the merrier. Yeah, definitely. Just promise me that you'll that you'll have me on as a guest. That's all I want. Oh, you got it. I'll have you on. That's Let easy. me know if you have any questions too, because I've, you know we've been doing this for a while now and a couple of different platforms. But we'd love to support you however we can, and I can't wait to I can't wait to see what you come up with because I, like I listen to podcasts a ton, and I'm I'm listening to podcasts about ball pythons and carpet pythons and right. and stuff that I just don't 
really care that much about. There are some similarities to the turtle side. I just don't. I mean, like I do care. I care about the reptile industry. Like I care about that group that like does reptile shows and stuff like that. But if I show up to White Plains and there's nothing but bearded dragons and, and ball pythons, not there's anything wrong with that. I respect everyone who does it, but I'm bummed as a turtle person. So to not have, a, you know, as much, uh, as much content for us, I think is really a bummer. So I'm super excited to hear that you're doing that. And it's I'd love to, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me go so I, I will listen to every single episode. Just go to whatever your platform is and type in turtle podcast. You get like yeah. almost nothing. Yep. So I just saw it. And it's like free therapy too. I'll tell you that because <laughs> if you've ever listened to Turtle Devoted, it's it's yeah. it's a lot of fun, but it's it's definitely free therapy. We have our best conversations there most of the time. More, you, you know, it's like conversations on there. We will see. we will be sticking closer to turtles and tortoises throughout the whole episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Totally devoted. Uh, I, I applaud you for turtles. being so open. We're yeah. just not gonna. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. A different side of me, I think, came out of that than what came out of the podcast, which we were cool with. But yeah, it really is like therapy. So it's it's for free. I, I really I really dig that podcast. So you guys are both. I think I sent you a message. You guys are both doing really well. I love I love to listen. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And and thank you everyone who who joined us today. Um, you can follow Ryan. He's on Facebook. He's got the YouTube channel. Um, he's also on Instagram. As what's what's the Instagram one? Because that's a different type of name. Rad uh, Rad underscore Reptile, which is my initials. Ryan Andrew Dumas. Uh, oh, very clever. Very clever. That oh. is clever. <laughs> yeah, I like so, that. I didn't realize that. Rad underscore Reptiles on Instagram. Check him out. Cool. Were cool. you born in '82? Yep. June 28th, 82. Elder millennial. Oh, the very beginning of the millennials, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm an old millennial and I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah, much, have, is it Xennials? Let them know, Steve. Let them know. Yeah, I feel more, I, I associate, I identify with X, Generation X, a lot mm. more. Mm. I'm a millennial. I just look like a Generation X. You look like you're 60. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> What's going on over here? When I found out you were like four years younger than me, I'm like, what happened? I know. And I've always been like that, though. I was like buying alcohol for my friend when I was 13, like six, eight with a beard. It's, Ryan, uh, I don't know how many it's in a curse. Sorry, I don't know how many of these you've watched over the years, but uh, one of the recurring themes is that Anthony just rips on me every episode. So when I can get one in, yeah, I don't, I don't pull punches. Uh, I hope you never do. I hope you never do. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, brother. You didn't even make fun of how much my forehead is shining tonight. Look at that. You, you mean your five head? It's gore. It's like a seven and a half head. It's crazy. It's humid in Connecticut, guys. It's like it's it's like uh, you have to count the half. It's like uh, like Ryan's daughter. It's a nine and a half head. Bone awesome. dry. Did you like that? Yeah. I played tennis before this. I'm trying to get back in shape. Live forever. I played. I'm horrible at tennis. Let's go. This I'm, a, no, I'm atrocious. Are you bad too? I I played when I was younger, but it's been oh, no, I don't want to play. I don't want to play too. If you if you if you if, if you have any experience at all, I don't. I understand how to play absolutely, but I have a bad knee now, so who knows? I'm 400 pounds and I don't want to play. So I don't want to play it. Too. Okay, <laughs> I'm awesome. laughing. I, I have right. a bum knee and oh, gosh, 30. You, you want to play tennis? Stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
No. You can borrow my goodie. We can play Wii Sports tennis over the internet. You guys could be like in a set, like a potato sack race, and you could tie your bad legs together and make one third leg between. Is the it two. your uh, right leg or left leg? My right knee is the bad one. Yeah, same here. Uh, wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. Darn. Yeah. Gonna take it over the world with that idea. Or we can. I was use, excited for a moment. Use our right legs. Yeah. We can use our right legs and enter some other kind of race. You know, it's like for only injured people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let's let this conversation. We're going off. Everybody, yeah, thank you so much for joining tonight. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for being here. I'm letting Anthony Finch taking us out, but I felt like I should make that first step. That's it. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. This is episode 79. We out.